So let's also turn in our Bibles uh, briefly to Genesis chapter number 17. That'll set our theme for tonight. Uh, Genesis 17. And I looked on uh, last year's uh, sermons, last year's passages that we looked, that we went through. Uh, and so March 6th, so literally one year ago, uh, we were in Genesis 22 uh, in our morning service. So going back there to refresh our memories. Uh, Genesis 22, it's a, the famous story of the sacrifice, or God commanding at least, uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac uh, to test him, to test his faith. And then we read there, uh, beginning at verse number seven, so Abraham takes uh, Isaac and takes uh, wood to uh, lay on an, to make an altar and to burn a sacrifice. He takes some servants with him, two young men with, uh, with a donkey, and all these things are uh, laden, and they go up this mountain. Uh, it's Mount Moriah, uh, which is uh, the Temple Mount, eventually the Temple Mount, so where Abraham was sacrificed Isaac, eventually is where God builds the temple. Uh, so verse 7, as the story continues, uh, as they make their way there, uh, Abraham and Isaac leave the servants and the donkey behind. They take the wood, and he takes a knife and his son, and he goes with him. Uh, they go up together to this mountain. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, again, verse 7, My father, and he, Abraham, said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. That root word for God will provide. We'll see that again here in a second. When they came to the place of which God had told, uh, told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So this wonderful story of Abraham and Isaac, uh, of our spiritual father Abraham and uh, Isaac, we know the story. We, again, we, we looked at it last year, uh, 366 days ago, uh, and I hope and pray that it's a familiar story to us, the story of Abraham, Father Abraham. Uh, and uh, the, the key there is he calls this place, <coughs> he calls this place, as we translate it, uh, in sort of anglicized Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is provider. And there's even a little, a little uh, song that some of us sang uh, in bygone days, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You know that song, right? His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Some of us know that song at least. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. And this beautiful name, notice, it's for the place uh, where the Lord has provided this ram, uh, even as Abraham in faith already told his son Isaac, you know, as he asked him, where's the, where's the animal for sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide. So this great test of faith, and as we know, he passed that test, is 
this beautiful name of the Lord, uh, the place, but it's the Lord here who's being described. The Lord is our provider uh, that leads us to think tonight, just for a few, bit, a few minutes, about this biblical topic of providence, of providence. Uh, sometimes we can say in sort of Sunday school ease, Sunday school uh, uh, lingo, uh, providence is God's providence, that God provides, that God gives. He also takes as well. We, we read that in our catechism question too. Uh, but God is a God of prov- uh, provision. God is the one who provides for us. And we saw something of that already last Sunday. Uh, we, we, it wasn't commented on because it comes up again. But in Q&A 26, we spoke about God as creator. Uh, and then it not only said that God made all things, but he still, he still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence. He still upholds and rules all that he's made by his eternal counsel and providence. Therefore, therefore, I do not doubt he will provide, there's that word, he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this vale or this valley of tears. Now, I want you to notice something about that. We, we didn't comment last Sunday, but just to mention that again, so if you have that, that, uh, the hymnal, you can see it in question 26, where it says, again, uh, that he will turn to my goods, whatever adversity. But notice what it doesn't say, the answer to our, in our catechism, Q&A 26, that it doesn't, it doesn't say this, he will turn to my good, whatever adversity comes upon me in this life. You see that? If you look back there at question 26, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he will turn to my good whatever adversity comes upon me, right? Just by happenstance or by chance, right? I just stubbed my toe. Uh, it, just, it just happened, right? It just, I just happened, you know, the, the car just hit the car in front of me. I just got in trouble. Those kind of things. But the answer says something fairly strong, fairly shocking, maybe, to our sensibilities. That God will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this troubled life. I think it translates it there. It says veil of tears, this valley of tears, this valley of tears. We need to think about that. We need to think about what it means that God is the one who gives, as Job says. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. And how does Job end that? Blessed Blessed be the name of the Lord. Only when God provides good stuff? Also when God takes away? Are we to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Yes. So what's providence? What's providence? Well, uh, that answer, 27, gives us a, a little summary of it, the almighty and ever-present power of God. The almighty and ever-present power of God. Now, God, in that presence and in that power, he, he works in different ways. And we can see this throughout the Bible, and we make these theological distinctions, but sometimes God works in a very immediate way. Immediate. That little I means there is no me, there's, there's no means. There's no medium. There's nothing in between God and whatever it is that he's doing. So God works sometimes immediately, immediately. Uh, Other times, God works immediately through the means of something or 
someone. God upholds all things, as the Bible says. He's got the, and we sing in our little Sunday school songs, he's got the whole world in his hands, the whole wide world in his hands. But he also upholds all things through the means of institutions, governments, people, rain coming down, providing food, farmers giving us food, and so forth. We can say that God gave us the food on our plate, but we can also acknowledge the fact that God used the means of farmers and those uh, who've uh, brought the food to us, who've driven a truck, put it in a store, stocked the shelf, the cashier, and so forth. All those are the means to bring to us uh, that food. God cares for us. God cares for us. We can certainly say that. Uh, At the same time, we also need to work. We also need to earn money so that we can buy food, so that we can get something to drink, because God has made us in such a way, as we know, that we have to eat and drink to survive. We can't just wing it, you know, on a wing and a prayer, uh, just walk out these doors tonight and say, you know, the Lord's going to put in front of me a little morsel of bread, and he's going to give me a cup of water over the air, and he's going to do this and that. We have to actually exert ourselves. And that's one of the means that God uses to give to us what we have. And so we can say that it was God who gave us. On the other hand, we can recognize that it was God who used uh, our labors, our hard work, and so forth. <clears throat> now, sometimes God also works. We talk about his, 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 his ever-present power. Uh, sometimes, uh, as God uses means, he uses people, institutions, places, things, and so forth to provide for us. Uh, sometimes he provides for us through things and even people that are good. Good laws that protect the church in various countries across the face of the globe. So sometimes God uses the intermediate means of good laws. Other times we can still say that God is a God of providence and care and concern and, and love for his people, that God sometimes uses means and provides for us through means and people that are evil. Anti-conversion laws, say, in some parts of the world. Laws that try to restrict and hinder the church. Laws that seek to make it uh, impossible for Christians to swear allegiance to Jesus Christ alone, and not the communist state of China, for example, as laws are seeking to do. So God uses sometimes, uh, he, he works immediately, he just provides something, like here's a ram just shows up. On the other hand, we can say, well, God also uses the means, the means of Abraham's faith, uh, Abraham's love for God, and so forth. Now, speaking of God's providence then, so his almighty, ever-present power. Of course, some deny that God is involved because they don't believe there's a God at all. So there is no God who's involved. There is no almighty ever-present power of God because there's no God. Okay, that's what some say. Now others say that, uh, that uh, there, there might be a God, but he's not very personally involved in the things that happen. Uh, all we know is what we can see with our eyes and what we can experiment on in a lab. So science or scientism even at times is we think of a, in a very materialistic world. So some deny that God exists, and so there is no providence. Others don't necessarily deny that God exists, but they deny his personal involvement. Uh, other, others, believers, Christians, uh, they will affirm that God uh, is involved. God is a God who cares and who provides, but 
but that providence is limited by the free will of man. Some say that as Christians. Other Christians affirm that God is in control of the world, but that that control is limited to just the good things, the positive things. I tried to find it on YouTube this week. I couldn't find it. Um, I know it exists. I saw it with my own two eyes. I heard it with my own two ears. Uh, there was an interview on Larry King Live back in the day. I think he, has he passed away, Larry King? Yes. Yeah, I, th- I thought so. Uh, Larry King Live, you know, used to be famous, uh, 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 like, a, like a news show with different people on his show on CNN, and he would have debates and all kinds of perspectives. And right after 9-11 happened, he had uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner, who was very famously known for his book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, he had a Roman Catholic priest. I think he had Deepak Chopra, who's a, a New Age uh, uh, spiritualist, someone else. Uh, and then he had John MacArthur on there as sort of the token uh, Protestant Christian. And uh, this idea that God is in control, but, but it's only limited to the things that we might call good things. Because he was asked directly, you know, where was God when 9-11 happened? And he said, God wasn't involved. It wasn't God who was involved uh, in that at all. Now, on the one hand, we can say, well, sure, we don't want to shock people's sensibilities. But on the other hand, God is in, in charge of and control of his providences over all things. He uses, immediately, through the means of wicked actions and peoples, he uses those things in his divine permission. He may not have, act, he may not, uh, we sometimes speak of, a, of an active, willing things, but he might have uh, uh, willed not to. Uh, intervene. He may have willed to permit those things. And so we speak that way as well. So in other words, God is in control. We have to affirm that. He works all things, Ephesians 1.11 says. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. Everything. In some way we can say God is in control. God is in control. God is God. He's the Lord. He provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. Now in the days of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah had to remind Israel in a time of, uh, of, 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 of great national calamity, when their own prophets and preachers and teachers of the law were, were basically prosperity preachers, and we read this in the book of Jeremiah, they were saying things like this, it shall be well with you. And they were saying other things like this, no disaster shall come upon you. That's what the prophets of Israel were saying to the Israelites. It shall be well with you, no disaster shall come upon you. Why? Because God is in control, and only good things come, and no evil things come. But then the prophet said this, that God is a God who is at hand, he's imminent, he's close, he's ever-present with us, and he's a God who's far away, he's transcendent, he's above us, he's beyond us. And therefore no one can hide from his sight, because he fills the heavens and the earth. All good things and all evil things, nothing happens apart from the will of God. He doesn't know some things and not know other things. He knows all things. He sees all things. His purpose is somehow mysteriously found in all things. Again, speaking of this ever-present power of God over all things, the apostle in Acts chapter 17 He reminded the Athenians that that God made everything. And because he made everything, he doesn't live in temples made by hands. 
He doesn't need our animal sacrifices to sustain him, to feed him. No, he gives life and breath to all. He's the one who made one man, and from that one man, all nations on the face of the earth. He's the one who also determines the boundaries of those nations, those peoples, the timelines of those nations and peoples, their beginning, their date and ending. We're talking uh, after the church this morning, uh, a few of us about the Roman Empire was a thousand years old and we're like barely 200 years old. So God's in control of the timeline of of human history. And there's an appointed beginning and end for the United States of America. In fact, the apostle said to the Athenians, and again in Acts 17, uh, that, beca- that, 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 that one of their own poets, one of their own Greek poets said this, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, we exist in the hand of God. In him we live, we move, we have our being. There's not one person on the face of the planet, there's not one thing in the entire universe that's not somehow, in some form or fashion, within the hand and the providence of Almighty God. And that's why the answer says to us that it's His almighty and ever-present power by which He upholds as with His hands heaven, earth, all creatures. By which He upholds as, notice that there's a simile there, as with His hand. God doesn't have hands, but as, as with a hand. Heaven, earth, all creatures. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a few pages that I follow on Twitter. Uh, the Hubble telescope and, and uh, a lot of NASA's uh, uh, pictures that come in almost daily. And uh, the universe just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, we seem to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller by the day. And uh, as you think about the universe and the, the vastness of it, almost seems limitless and infinite. And the number of the stars and constellations and galaxies and billions of galaxies. We can only see, we can only see the, the, the stardust of the Milky Way galaxy if we go out into the dark. Just the, the edge of like one little pinwheel of this, of this Milky Way galaxy. And that's just one. There's billions of them. But yet, as with his own hand, all those things are fit into the very hand of Almighty God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus, the Son, upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 says that in the Son of God, all things consist. All things have their life. All things have their being. And so when we say in that answer, 27, that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things are in his hand. Can you say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes? Blessed be the name of the Lord, despite whether he gives or takes. Can you say, as Jesus taught in John chapter number 9, when people asked about a certain uh, family, you know, who sinned? Who sinned that their son was born blind? And Jesus says, it's not because of this person's sin or that person's sin. No, it was because God had purposed to show forth his works and proclaim his glory through this man. Could God have declared his glory through him in another way? Sure. But he chose, God did, 
God chose that man for that particular ailment, not health but sickness, not prosperity but poverty, not a fruitful but a lean, not rain but drought. God chose it that way so that the glory of God would be known through him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be his name. All things, in fact, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So much so that in ancient culture, the culture in which the Bible was written, in which our forefathers and foremothers lived and moved and had their being, so much, they, could, they could say so much so that all things, in fact, come not by chance, but by the fatherly hand of Almighty God, that they made decisions based on drawing lots, drawing straws. I think one of my kids were asking about this this week. So you take like five long pieces of straw, or hay, or whatever it might be, a blade of grass, literally a plastic straw these days, or a paper straw. And uh, they're all different lengths, right? But you sort of, you hold them in such a way that it looks like there's five equal pieces of paper, straws, grass, whatever. And people pick those, and whoever draws the long or the short, whichever one is decided upon ahead of time, that person is the one who's, you know, appointed for this task, or that's the one who has to go out and do this, or who has to go out and do that. Decisions are made by drawing lots. Why? The Proverbs tell us the lot is cast, but every decision is from the Lord. So our forefathers believed that God controlled all things so much so that even when they didn't have a way of making decisions other than drawing a little piece of grass from a, from a whole collection of pieces of grass, and whoever got the long or the short, that was God's will. We don't live that way, do we? We may not draw straws or lots, but we need to know that our decisions come from God. God purposes all good things and permits all evil things for his own glory and our salvation. He wills things. He wills to permit things. He's not indifferent to things. But he's God. He's in control. We saw this in Genesis as well last year in the story of Joseph where he's sold into slavery by his own brothers uh, in, by, in, uh, to Midianite traders who then sell him into slavery to Potiphar uh, in Potiphar's house. And at the end of the story in, in Genesis 50, uh, remember that famous verse where Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God, what does the verse say? God meant for good. That's why we can say that God wills, God is in control of all things. God used the wickedness of those brothers and the, the, the greed, we might say, of the Midianites and the inhumanity of Potiphar so that Joseph was moved around like a piece of property, as ancient societies believed slaves were. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Did Joseph enjoy his experience in that pit in the ground? Was it fun being on the back of a donkey or being trotted to the desert? Do you think he liked being in Potiphar's house as a slave? No, but what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so I, I told you before that sometimes we, we, can't, we can't interpret God's providence in those times of leanness and pro- poverty, sickness, uh, struggle, and so forth. We, and drought, as the answer says. We, we can't interpret God's providence going forward. We can't, we can't say, you know, this is how it's all going to twist and turn and wind up. No, we can only look backwards and say, oh, that's, that was the plan. 
That's how it all worked out. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So, the providence of God. His almighty, ever-present power by which he upholds everything. Nothing comes by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So much so that we can say with Romans 8, as the apostle said, uh, that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Now, the main author of our catechism, Zacharias or Sinus, said, without the doctrine of God's providence, the whole truth of religion and the very foundation of piety would be overthrown. The whole truth of our religion, the very foundation of our piety, how we love God and respond to him, would be overthrown if there were no providence of God. And that's what question 28 says briefly, that there are three reasons why it matters. Why does it matter that we can say with Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes? Why does it matter that we can say with Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good? Why does it matter that we can say with Paul that God works all things, even evil things, for the good of those who love him? Why does it matter? Because, number one, we can be patient in this life. We can be patient in adversity so that when we experience times of life that are times of drought and lean uh, and, and sickness and poverty, we can be patient in adversity. In his despair, Job said those words, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It was while he had everything taken from him, as you know, he said those words, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. James 1, verses 2 and 3 say, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So how are you going to become steadfast, right? resolute, confident, strong, upright, in your life of faith, hope, and love towards God? How are you going to have that quality of steadfastness unless you have a whole litany of experiences of trials, temptations, troubles? Again, God doesn't just immediately give us steadfastness. There's a whole line, a whole life of trials that get you to that point. Is God in control of all? Yes. He's con- he, he could have immediately given us steadfastness, but he's also willed to permit at times even evil towards us, trials, temptations, troubles, so that we would get to that point of having steadfastness through various trials. And that's why we can look back and say it's all joy. Patience in adversity. This is the kind of question, this is the kind of answer uh, that our catechism gives to us uh, to prepare us for this, in fact. We may not tonight think that we need to be patient in adversity because we don't, we're not going through much adversity. But you've got to prepare yourself. You've got to be ready for the adversity by knowing that God calls you to be patient in it by trusting his providence. It's only a matter of time, right, when we go through some kind of adversity. Trust his providence. Secondly, we can be thankful in prosperity. Thankful in prosperity. Moses once told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter number 8, when they were about to enter the promised land, uh, that when they entered that land, he says, quote, you shall eat and be full. That's after 40 years of desert wandering. You shall be eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God. 
It's a truism, isn't it? That uh, we, we oftentimes, we, we pray for things, but then when we get those things, we forget to tell God thanks, right? We, we pray for things to be given to us, for a circumstance to be answered, for a blessing to come and so forth. And we, we look forward to those things, but then when we get to that forward thing, we forget to look back and say, thank you, Lord. When you go into the land, Moses said, you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God. Don't forget to give, to give thanks. Don't forget to give thanks. And finally, it matters because it gives us confidence in the future that no creature shall, shall separate us from the Father's love. No creature shall separate us from the Father's love. I'm going to read just one more passage from Romans chapter 5 and we'll close <clears throat> being confident in the future. The apostle says this, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 2 and following. Well, he says, uh, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He's speaking, glory of God speaks of eternity and being in God's presence. Not only that, notice that, we, we rejoice in the glory of God. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Again, we think of God's providence and his cares, all the blessings, all the good stuff. But then Paul says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you trust in God's providence, you can be confident for the future that no matter what he brings, fruitful or barren years, rain or drought, lean years, prosperous years, life or death, we can be confident that we have this great hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's come for us so perfectly and so wonderfully to teach us to know him, to know the Father, and to put our hands and our, life, uh, our lives and our futures uh, in his hands. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer.